Good morning. So good to see you this morning. So good to be back together. I want to ask you, do you know what this is? Yeah, don't say a red car, okay? You know what kind of car it is? Yeah, it's a Ferrari 488 Spider GTB. Did I say that right? It's what it's supposed to be anyway. Let's imagine that you are blessed to receive a Ferrari 488 Spider GTB. And let's say you have an unfortunate accident. You wreck your Ferrari Spider 488 GTB to where it looks like this. And let's say that you take it to the body shop for them to fix it. What do you think the body shop guys are going to tell you? Are you kidding me? I mean, I don't think I can do that, right? I mean, it's a total loss. You just need to write this one off with your insurance. But let's say that you have a rather ambitious body shop guy, and he says, all right, I'll give it a shot. Where do you think he's going to start? My guess is he's going to start with a picture, right? I mean, you've got to know what it is you're striving for before you begin putting it back together. And so it is with our families. So many are broken And so many don't even know what it is they're striving for. But when you have that picture of wholeness, when you have that frame of reference to go to, it makes it easier or better to know what it is you're striving for, right? A lot of our homes are broken and there's a mom and dad trying to fix it, trying to put it back together, but coming up short. And and one of the reasons I think is why is because they don't know what the reference point is. They don't really know what the picture of wholeness looks like, what they should be striving for. Many of our homes are like that TV show, Deadliest Catch. You ever seen that? It's these crab fishermen out on the Bering Sea and people die. You seen the show? It's crazy. These folks are out there risking life and limb to catch those crabs that you get to eat at Red Lobster. And they're out on the sea and the boat is bobbing up and down and going back and forth and water is coming over it. It looks like it's going to capsize at any minute. And, and the workers are sliding across the deck back and forth as water pummels them. And through it all, you know what they do? They keep picking up the crab pots. They keep unloading the crab. And they keep sailing towards the destination. And I think that's how our family should be. That's what our families should look like. We just keep our head down, we keep doing our job, we keep sailing in the right direction, going towards the proper destination. You know, the world is always going to be the world. I applaud the difference makers in our world. I applaud the idealists that say, I can make it a better place. But no matter what you do, the world is always going to be the world, right? And it's always been this way. We might be able to make some adjustments We might even be able to make some wholesale changes in our little plot of this world, but the world is always going to be the world. I want you to notice what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these." 
This is simply a summary of the evening news, is it not? In fact, that's what the evening news is. It's someone saying good evening and then proceeding to tell you why it's not. And in this whole list here, most if not all these things you find on an evening news broadcast, right? Just about all these things are included. What if they weren't? What if the news anchor came on and said good evening and then proceeded to say unemployment rate is at zero? 3,000 planes landed and took off today without incident. You know, the economy is looking good. No politicians were indicted. No crimes were committed today. In fact, there were no murders all over the United States today. You wouldn't trust that newscast because you know better. You would know that that's not true because the world is always going to be the world. It's a sad state of affairs, but this is not the only time it's been a sad state of affairs. I hear people say sometimes, well, yeah, it's just as bad as it's ever been. No, no. And it could get worse. It might get better. But the world's always going to be the world. I don't like that fact. You probably don't either. But it's just the way that it is. I want you to notice again, though, what Paul says in verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Well, wait a minute. Paul's not talking about the world, is he? What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. And notice what he says in verse 6 and following. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus's and Jambres' folly was also. You know, it's easy to read verses like this and say, yeah, you know, that's, that's the way the world is, just going to be that way. But Paul's not making a commentary about the state of the world. He's talking about the state of the church. And it's not the old sore head in the pew that grabs and complains about the color of the carpet that you've got to worry about. No, it's, it's elders. It's deacons. It's preachers. It's Bible class teachers. They talk a good game. They put on a good front. They hold to a form of godliness. But in their words, their actions, their relationships, they have denied the power of godliness. This is scary, especially when you consider that these last days that Paul is talking about here, we're in them. And we'll currently, not only currently be living in them, but we'll continue to live in them until Jesus returns, right? It's troubling to look around us and see the world as it is. That, that's bad enough. What's worse is when the church becomes an extension of the world. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a refuge from the world. And the first church that a child should experience is the home. Look with me at Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, it reads like this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now skip on down to verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. 
There is a gruesome reality to this story that we often just gloss over because we read Noah and the ark like it's a children's story. Not to say that it can't be read that way, but there are some gruesome details that we leave out because we often treat it as just a kid's story. Murals like these appear in our nurseries. Happy smiling animals, blue skies and rainbows. We sing songs like, who made the ark? Have you ever seen a person drown? Hopefully not. You ever seen an animal drown? As they try to take in air, but they only take in water until it fills their lungs up and they suffocate? What a horrific sight. And you imagine Noah walking out onto the deck of his ark and looking out and seeing only lifeless bodies floating in the water. That's not a depiction we often see painted as a mural in our nurseries. But Noah and the ark isn't just a children's story. It is a story that focuses on the wrath of God punishing a sinful world. I want you to notice chapter 7 of Genesis, starting in verse 11. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. You ever wonder why God included the year, the month, and the day here? When you hear 9-11, what do you think of? When you hear the date, December the 7th, 1941, what do you think of? Or maybe December, or excuse me, June 6th, 1944. Many of you remember what you were doing on 9-11. When those, when those planes flew into the Twin Towers, you remember what you were doing when you heard the news. Some of you remember the day that will live in infamy. I believe that God wanted his people to remember this day. Remember it, the day, the month, the year, the 17th day of the second month of the 600th year would be a day where the world literally was changed, a day that would not soon be forgotten. And one of the details that often gets overlooked in the story of Noah is the fact that he was a preacher. Peter points this out in 2 Peter chapter 2, where it reads, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was a herald of righteousness, a preacher, and probably the most unsuccessful preacher that ever lived, right? By human standards, he'd have a hard time getting a job. He tried, but the people wouldn't listen. In 100 years of preaching, he never converted anyone except his family. And that's where Noah deserves a lot, and I mean a lot of credit. He got his family on the boat. Noah may have failed at converting anyone else. But he converted his family who took care of his primary responsibility. And I have often used Noah as an example and propped him up in ministry. There have been times, I don't know why, that I've been asked to come speak to preachers. And one of the things that I talk about 
is how I have known and, and, and other preachers have known great men of faith who dedicated their life to preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Every night of the week, they were out doing Bible studies with someone. They spent their days preparing, prepping for, for Sunday. When they weren't doing those things, they were out lending a hand in the community. And all the while, their kids are sitting at home with a father who is absent. Their wife is more of a partner because they didn't focus on their marriage. And you see this in preaching circles. And I know of preachers who have lamented the fact that they did this very thing. One thing you learn about the church is that there's always work to do. And there's always somebody who'll let you do it. That's why I think when I talk to preachers, I always say that the biggest word in your vocabulary is no. But it's important to understand that even as a preacher, if you're out there working and diligently seeking to proclaim the gospel and to carry on Bible studies and lend a hand and prep for sermons and all those kind of things, if you ignore the family, if you have neglected your primary responsibility, then what is it all for? Can you imagine Noah standing on the deck of the ark and looking out and seeing those lifeless bodies floating on the water and one of them be his daughter or his son? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in Noah's sandals and, and seeing that? I mean, I have to believe that Noah's whole experience was at least somewhat soothed by the fact that his family was on the boat. As tragic as this whole episode was, I have to believe that he had some solace in the fact that his family was on the boat. And like that show, Deadliest Catch, they just kept sailing, kept going towards the proper destination, doing their job. You know, at least once a week, I get a phone call from someone telling me that they have been trying to reach me about my car warranty. Now, I bought a truck a year and a half ago, and I didn't take out a warranty. I would have remembered that. I certainly haven't bought a warranty from a third party. I don't even know how you'd go about doing that. Yet they still continue to call me, even though I blocked their number, they find another way to reach me. But if I'm going to buy a warranty for my car, I'm not going to buy it from some stranger. I'm going to buy it to the one who sold me the car, right? Because they have an intimate relationship with that vehicle. They know the vehicle, and they're selling it to me, so I'm going to trust them. If I'm going to buy a warranty, it's going to be from them. You know, society cannot claim the family. While family exists in society, family wasn't created by society. It was created by God. He has all the rights to it. He's the designer and the manufacturer of it, and his design comes with an instruction manual, but it also comes with a warranty. Society can't give you a warranty because society doesn't know the product like the manufacturer does. You want a factory warranty, not some knockoff, and God provides the factory warranty. Because he designed it, he manufactured it, then it just makes sense that it works best when we function the way he designed it, right? And all too often, the family reflects the values of society rather than the values of God. It's like... We're looking in a mirror. Society is a mirror, and we look in that mirror, and we just see the culture, and we don't see God and what He values. Families value love and togetherness. They value education. They value discipline and hard work. They value maybe athletics or other extracurricular activities. They value getting a good job, getting a good education. 
living a good life. And all those are good things. You see, I, I don't think by and large families, at least families within the church, I don't, I don't think they value bad things or wrong things. You know, this is not about putting aside values that aren't correct. Now, I realize that there are some families that put the fun and dysfunctional. But by and large, I think families, especially Christian families, are striving for right things and they're valuing good things. The problem is, it's easy to value good things above best things, right? It's easy to put the good things above what is ultimate. There is a bigger purpose that we are living for. It's not just so that our kids grow up to be happy and get a good job and, 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 and live a good life. There is a bigger purpose to all this, and it's, and it's found in the very beginning of things. Look with me in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We, us, were made in the image of the Almighty. He created us male and female, in his image, in the image of the Trinity. Did you notice that? In the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's who the us is in this passage. Let us make man in our image. He is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the us. We were made in their image. And we cannot afford to race past this because we're going to miss something if we do. You see... When God said, let us make man and let us make man like us, male, female, offspring, family, let us make them to look like us, what God is saying is from the very beginning, the goal was for man to be a mirror. We were to be a mirror. The Greek word is icon for image. An icon represents two things, two concepts, representation and manifestation. We are icons. Paul makes reference to this in 1 Corinthians 15. Just as, we have been, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we also bear the image of the heavenly. The idea associated with icon in this passage is that of representation derived from a prototype. We are a prototype of the original. We look like Adam, but more importantly, we look like the ones who created us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God created mankind individually to mirror Him. And when two image bearers come together in marriage, well, it doesn't change the purpose. In fact, we should be even brighter in the way that we shine God's image. You know, we talked about this the last few weeks, is that marriage is a holy alliance. It is a gospel-shaped union. Consider that God is using your marriage to make you a better person. And consider that God is using your marriage to reach other people. God wants to use your marriage to show the world what love and grace and mercy and forgiveness looks like. So if God created male and female to be a physical representation and manifestation of Him in the world, then that wouldn't change when man and woman come together in marriage, right? 
In fact, you would think that that representation and manifestation would burn even brighter and be more visible now that you have two image bearers reflecting the glory of God. And what if you as a couple become fruitful and multiply? What does that do with the situation? How does that change things? Well, now you have other image bearers to reflect, to represent, to manifest the glory of God in the world around us. You see, family doesn't change the purpose of what we were made for. To be a grouping of icons who reflect the image of the Almighty in the world. That is our greater purpose. A world that is flooded with darkness, filled with folks who are drowning in a sea of sin. A world that looks a lot like that show Deadliest Catch, right? Here we are on our boat and the storm is raging. And we're taking on water. And maybe we're sliding back and forth on the deck as water pummels us. And in the water around us, there are people dying, drowning, reaching out for us. And so we reach out a hand and we bring them on board. At least we attempt to, right? Because it's not just the purpose of a family to stay down in the hull of the ship and wait out the storm. That bigger purpose that we're talking about. It's to rescue as many people as possible. God tried to do that through Noah, but the people didn't want to get on the boat. And they may not want to get on your boat either, but that doesn't mean we neglect the mission. That doesn't mean we neglect our responsibility. It's not just about getting your family on the boat, although that's primary. It's about helping others get on the boat as well. It's not just about waiting out the storm. It's not just about hunkering down until the sea calms. Image bearers don't just look like their creator, they act like him as well. Virtually all of you have one of these hanging in your home. You know what that is, right? That is a family portrait. None of you have that one hanging in your home because that would be weird. (laughs) But my guess is all of you have a family portrait hanging somewhere in your home. Maybe it's also sitting on your desk or the mantle over your fireplace, but more than likely, you have a family portrait somewhere. You probably paid good money for that family portrait. You would never think of displaying a family portrait that was fuzzy and out of focus or blurry. No, this represents us at our best, right? We get all dolled up, we put on makeup, we fix our hair, we dress alike, and we put on a smile. This picture My son was very unhappy to take it. Right before we took that picture, I looked at him. I said, you better smile, son. (laughs) And he did. And he fooled you, didn't he? You would think he was happy to have that picture taken, but he wasn't. But that's what we do. Our family portrait reflects our family at our best. Our family should reflect God as well. We are image bearers of him. We often view family as just a pursuit of happiness, right? We just want a happy family. I just want my kids to be happy. I just want my wife to be happy. I just want my husband to be family. And we make happiness the goal. Happiness should never be the goal. Not in marriage, not in family, not in your life. And you know why? Because happiness is is cheap. It's fleeting. It's based on circumstances and conditions. People say, well, God just wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. God wants you to be holy. 
He wants you pursuing holiness. And when you pursue holiness, you get a much greater benefit than happiness. You know what you get? You get joy. And joy can be experienced in even the darkest of circumstances. You can experience joy even when it feels like the boat is going to capsize. But joy is the benefit. It's not the goal. I think all too often we make the benefit the goal. I just want my kids to be happy. I want them, I want them to get a, a, a good job that makes them happy, a good education that makes them happy. I want them to, to, to marry someone that makes them happy. And we just, you know, we want them to be happy, right? And certainly we understand that. We hate it when our kids are not happy. But there's a bigger goal here. We can't make the benefit the goal. We were created by God, by the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And we are to be a visual representation and manifestation of the us who made us. When the benefit is not working out, well, then we cut and run. You see that in our society often, don't you? When happiness is the goal and my spouse no longer makes me happy, well, then I go and find somebody else that will. My kids don't make me happy. I don't like my lot in life. I'm not happy with who I am. I just go and find somebody else. I go and find something else that makes me happy. Because we have made happiness the goal. Or we stay married for the sake of the kids and are miserable, right? But that's not good either. The goal is to display the image of our Creator to the world around us. The goal is to live righteously. The goal is living lives of holiness. Our families should be little bastions of holiness and righteousness. Image bearers. As Christian parents, we have a responsibility to do what the Israelite people were commanded to do and to teach our children diligently. And we should learn a lesson from them because they didn't do that. They failed miserably once they reached the promised land to do what God had commanded them. And we learn from their mistakes and we understand how important it is to teach our children diligently to make sure that they understand the bigger purpose for life to be image bearers in a dark world. You know, one of the, one of the first things we do when we have kids besides celebrating and crying is we start studying them, don't we? We start looking at them and trying to figure out who they look like. And for some, it's not hard, right? Some look just like their parents. I said in the first service, you know, like a little Matthias Baeza. You know, I mean, he's many Zinni, right? You know, there's no, no doubt that he belongs to Zinni. Some of them, it's a little harder to tell. And you get out baby pictures and you kind of you compare. Does he look like mom? Does he look like dad? You know, our goal should not be to raise little lookalikes. Actually, maybe it is. When we send our kids out into the world, hopefully we have raised them to be image bearers so that, yes, they look like us because they have our genes, but more importantly, they look like God. They look like Jesus. They're led by the Holy Spirit. That, my friends is a powerhouse. Let's pray. The most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. We pray, God, that our being here will not be wasted, that we will leave here changed every week, that we will leave here changed, that this will be the kickstart of a week where we go and we be image bearers to the world around us. 
that we represent and manifest the glory of God in all that we do. Help us with our homes, God. Help us as we raise our children. Help us as children to be who you would have us to be. Bastions of righteousness and holiness in a world that so desperately needs hope. We love you, God. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Can we help you this morning? I know we have some families that are struggling right now. I know that there are some who are dealing with difficulty. We've experienced loss over the last few months. Many are reeling from the devastation of, of COVID. Can we help you? Let us pray with you. Maybe you've considered putting on Christ in baptism and, and, and becoming a disciple. And certainly we want to take care of that this morning. If you're ready to start studying the Bible and learning you know, what it means to be a disciple, then we want to help you with that as well. Whatever your need may be, David's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?